My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Matthew chapter 14 today. Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be inside the Word of God today. Today we're bringing our series on courageous peace to a close. Um, We've been trying to bring some fresh light and understanding to a promise that Jesus makes to his disciples. And a promise that if if so, if if true, can be so life-changing for us. See, our lives are lived... In a quest for ah, ah, ah. We want that out of life. That's what we live for. For these moments where we can finally put all of the pieces and the blocks and everything that needs to be just for a moment where we can catch our breath and just say, ah, where things are right. The moment where everything is good, everything is right. Everything just feels the way that it should. Moments of peace. But what we've been talking about with peace is that the idea, the concept, the, the, the place of peace is the most fragile place that we can find ourselves. It's a place we want to be, but it's so intensely fragile because peace is only an option when there's nothing to take it away. That the moment there's noise, the moment there's a brand new baby, there's not peace. There may be lots of joy, but it's not a peaceful place. The moment that the kids come home from school, it's not peaceful. The moment that there's noise, it's no longer peace and quiet. The moment that there's conflict, there's no longer peace. Peace can only exist when there's nothing to take it away. The moment that something, someone, anything shows up or a need isn't met or expectations are not realized, whatever it may be, we don't look and we go say, well, good, above and beyond all of this, I still have peace. In those moments, our peace is robbed and we have to work to try and find it again. But Jesus made a promise to his disciples in John 14 that the peace that he offers would be different. It would be over, it would overcome, it would take over the things that should rob us of peace. We've read this verse every week at least once for the last five Sundays. So if you've been following along, you may be able to say it with me. But peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. This is where we're trying to understand. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not not be afraid. Jesus says his peace is different. It's not the peace of the world. See, when the world gives us our peace, the world takes away our peace. But Jesus says that the peace he gives, it's not the world's peace, it's different. He gives a different kind of peace. See, when the world gives us our peace, the world takes away our peace. But if God gives us our peace, The world can't touch it. We cannot have peace and be troubled. They don't work together. We cannot have peace and be afraid. 
But Jesus said, if you walk in my peace, when your heart's troubled, you'll still have peace. When you walk in my peace, even in moments where you might be afraid, there's still peace available for you. The world cannot touch it. And this week, we're going to look at one final story to show us what God's peace looks like. And ultimately, this is the story that birthed the entire series for me. It was going to be our first one, and I pushed it off to the last one, hoping that I'd be able to fill the last few weeks. Because I think this is the best, most concise story where we can see a picture of the peace of God in the midst of everything that should rob us of peace. Even if in the story it's only for a fleeting moment. And we're going to have five points today that will show us how to understand the peace that Jesus offers in our life. It's the story of Peter walking on water, which is found in Matthew chapter 14, starting at verse 22, which says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. We'll talk about that in a sec. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. So the verses that we just read, it began with immediately. So bringing some context to what had just happened before. Jesus had been teaching on the shore of the lake all day long to literally thousands of people all day long. And there's this moment where everybody's getting hungry and restless. And there's this amazing miracle where Jesus feeds thousands of people with some fish and a little bit of bread. Amazing, truly incredible miracle. But it was a long day. It was a hot day. It was a difficult day, even in the midst of the miracles, for all the disciples, because they weren't just there to hear Jesus preach. They were working. When you read in the scripture, they passed out the bread to thousands of people. That was, so, so everybody's hungry and cranky, and it's the disciples' job to take this bread and pass it out. Now, we know from, from the before times how hard it was to even just pass out communion at church to 100 people. And we're not eating communion because we're starving. But there's thousands and thousands of people out there who are hungry. And in a moment, the disciples are tasked with make sure everybody gets something to eat. And so they're working and they're putting all of this in the hot sun while people are gathered and somebody's got to be last to get their food. And they're not happy about it. And they're dealing with all that's going on. And so finally, the day comes to an end and they're done for the day. But Jesus says to them, no, 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 you're not done. I need some alone time. You guys go hop in the boat and, and sail across to the other side. And so on the heels of this long, hot, tiring day, Jesus sends his disciples in a boat across the lake, and it's gotten late. It's now dark. It's nighttime, and the wind has been blowing hard in the wrong direction. 
So the disciples are having to row against the wind. And as the wind was blowing stronger and stronger and the night was growing longer and longer, the disciples were getting more and more tired and it was getting harder and harder. John tells us when he recounts this story that the water was growing rougher and it was becoming more and more difficult to move across the lake. So these already exhausted and tired men were, were growing more and more weary by the moment. They've been serving all day in the hot sun. Now they're rowing across a, a, a violent and difficult lake against the wind. And there's just so much going. And it doesn't look like they're getting to the end anytime soon. Progress is slow. It's late at night. It's dark. And suddenly see, they see something. It looks like someone out on the water. And they're so tired and weary that in their collective confusion and tiredness, they can't think straight. And their most logical conclusion that they can come to is that there's a ghost on the water. Now, this is not something we encounter over and over again. The, the, the disciples are not prone to seeing ghosts. They're not, oh, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. It's a, this is the time when they see a ghost. They're so exhausted and so weird. And I'm sure you can identify with moments in your life where you're so tired that you just can't think straight. Last night, I was trying to send out an update on our prayer chain. And it was like 11 o'clock at night and I was exhausted and I just could not do it. I just kept making mistakes. I sent it out with the wrong information. Then as I was trying to retype the correct information, it was like all, a thousand little red lines underneath everything because I just could not. And these guys, they're, they're exhausted. And they look and they see something they can't explain. And in a moment, their, their collective understanding, it's a ghost. We've never seen one, but this must be a ghost. They're having this breakdown. They're exhausted. They're weak. It's been a long day. They're tired physically, mentally. They're in a boat at night in the middle of the storm. And now they're seeing ghosts. And this leads us to point one of understanding Jesus' peace. The circumstances are real. The first thing that we need to understand about Jesus' peace is that it's peace in the middle of circumstances. See, this is why Jesus' peace is the absence, or, or sorry, is the opposite of the world's peace. Everything we just read would not lead you to peace. This wasn't a pleasure cruise on the lake. It would lead you to, to the opposite of peace. But everything that was happening here was really happening. This isn't a metaphor. This isn't somehow a parable. This is a true story of what takes place. It was not a picture of a place where we're about to find peace. This is the epitome of unpeaceful. They're having a mental breakdown because of physical, emotional exhaustion. If you try and explain a place with lack of peace, you can't do much better than this. How about you're exhausted? You're in the middle of a hard situation that you can't get out of. You're in the middle of the lake and you've got to go somewhere. You can't just stop. It's been a long, hard day and your brain is so tired and it's starting to play tricks on you and making you deeply fearful. That, my friends, is not a place of peace. 
Well, the first thing to understand about the peace of Jesus is that it's not about the circumstances. These circumstances are real. Jesus' peace doesn't come from, well, don't go to the middle of the lake. Jesus' peace doesn't come from, well, what are you guys doing here? Why are you in the middle of a lake? Don't you know it would be far more peaceful to be sleeping on the side of the lake? These circumstances were brought about by Jesus. It doesn't come from finding a place away from life. It comes from finding, or from a place right in the middle of life. It doesn't come from finding relief from the storm. It comes right in the middle of the storm. It doesn't come from don't go to the middle of the lake. It comes from the middle of the lake. God's peace lives where the world's peace simply cannot. Now back to the story. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you out on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus speaks to them, though. Speaks to them in their tiredness and in their they're losing it. And Peter, who is struggling, trying to figure out a way to process what is going on, he says to Jesus, well, if it's really you, tell me to come out on the water to you. Which, to be honest, seems like kind of a sketchy thing to do if you think you might be talking to a ghost. It seems like you're putting an awful lot of trust in this ghost, to be honest with you. You're afraid. Well, the, surely the ghost would say, no, I'm not Jesus. I was just kidding. Don't come out on the water. But Peter says, if it's really you, if this is really you, let me step out of the boat and walk with you. And he does. He steps out of the boat and he begins to walk on water. And this shows us point two in understanding Jesus' peace. It was the presence of Jesus that brought the peace. We're going to talk about this more in just a moment, but, but what brings Peter this incredible moment, it's only the voice and the presence of Jesus. It's not the circumstances. They haven't changed. It, it's not something that Peter discovers about himself. It's not some kind of true enlightenment. It's not some kind of deeper understanding. It's not somehow Peter's attitude or his perceptions, his positive thoughts or his aura. It's nothing about Peter or his situation that causes him to be able to walk on water in the middle of a storm to find this moment of peace. It's simply Jesus. It's just Jesus. The presence of Jesus shapes the entire narrative of what happens. There's still a storm. There's still waves. But when Jesus enters into the story, this story suddenly doesn't become about the storm. This story is not about the disciples making it across the lake in this crazy storm. We know this story is Peter walking on the water. The entire narrative is changed the moment Jesus enters into the story. 
And that's what we need to understand about the peace that Jesus offers. He, he isn't offering us change. He isn't offering us new circumstances or new situations. He isn't offering us a new perception or a new thought pattern. He isn't offering us something that will give us peace. He's offering us himself. His presence in our lives. Now, we may see a change in circumstance. We may see a change in situation. We may see change. But when Jesus says, my peace I'm offering to you, he's not offering us change. He's offering us himself. And this leads us to, to number three in the journey of our story. The circumstances remained very, very real. Verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, see this moment, this is the crystallized picture for us to understand what the peace of Jesus looked like. It is, not, it is 100% not circumstantial. Here is Peter in the middle of a lake in a storm, walking above the waves, above the storm. The storm was still there. It had not changed. You know, sometimes in a cartoon, you'll see like a person walking around with like a cloud raining just on them or like a sunbeam raining just on them. This wasn't Peter, that somehow the storm was everywhere else, but for Peter it was this moment of peace and tranquility. His circumstances were still very real. We have seen Jesus calm the wind and the waves in other places in Scripture. And in fact, we're going to see that later in this story. But that's not what happens here. Nothing changes. Nothing about the circumstances changed. Nothing is different. Jesus changed nothing. But Jesus changed everything. Nothing about the circumstances changed for Peter. Nothing. But when Jesus came into the story, everything changed for Peter. The exhaustion, the weariness from lack of sleep, the fear, the storm, it was all there. It was all true. But here's Peter, somehow, some way, walking above it all. He's in the middle of it. But he, he's simply going through it miraculously differently. Nothing, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, all of the other guys in the boat, their circumstances haven't changed. Nothing is different. The things that were dragging them down, the things that were dragging Peter down, they're all still there. But for Peter, the, through the presence of Jesus, they were no longer pulling on him. They were no longer pulling him down. The literal storms of life were not having the effect on him that they should have, that they were. He was above and beyond it all. So often when we look at the idea of peace in our lives, we look for relief from the storms, relief from the trials, relief from the hard points and places. If only this was resolved. If only I didn't have to deal with that. If only my grief was taken care of. If only they were not making me so angry. If only those kids could get along. If 
only I wasn't so sad, if only I wasn't so hurt, if only I wasn't so tired, if only I could get some rest, if only I wasn't afraid, if only I wasn't worried, if only, if only. But here we see the strongest and clearest picture that we can see. This moment of Peter walking on the water. This is what God has for you. This is what God has for us as people. This moment of Peter walking on the water. For you to walk in your storms of life. While everything should have you and your life and your emotions going one way. Jesus has something really and radically different for you. But in this moment, if you want to understand Jesus' peace, this is it. It's all about the circumstances. But it's about Jesus' presence in the middle of them and what that does for Peter. Jesus doesn't change anything, but the presence of Jesus changes everything. At least for a moment. Back, back to verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. We've just read the story of Peter having one of the most amazing moments in all of human history. Where he walks on water with God himself. It's never going to be replicated or seen again, at least on this side of heaven. But because Jesus' peace is so different from the peace that the world offers, it can be so hard to walk in. Literally here for Peter. Because everything in us and around us screams at us, you cannot have peace in this. It's impossible. This is not peaceful. And we see for Peter this moment where he realizes that his circumstances haven't changed. And that Jesus isn't inviting him into something different. Jesus is asking Peter to invite Jesus into his storm. It's not Jesus saying, come Peter, I've got something different for you. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to come into your storm. I'm not going to take you out of the storm. I'm coming in. But Peter's mind and his spirit cannot handle the storm. You see, you may not be aware of this. I'm going to Bible teach you for a, a, a moment here. It can take years of study and, and pouring over the Latin and the Greek, the Hebrew and the Aramaic to understand this. But thankfully, God gave you me <laughs> as your pastor to be able to teach you something today, to be able to give you some insight into the word of God this morning. So preemptively, you're welcome. But you may have never really understood this. But in, the mo in this moment, Peter does. Peter begins to understand this deeply spiritual, deeply heaven-sent concept that you and I may never fully understand the way that Peter does. But for us who have never come to this understanding... Here you go. People cannot walk on water. You may not know this. You may have never experienced. To unpack this, I know that that's a deep spiritual truth 
that we may need to have Bible study on for you to fully be able to come around to understanding the, the exegesis of the scripture that is taking place here. People cannot walk on water. It's not how it works. It's not how this happens. So Peter, as he walks on water, realizes, I'm walking on water! And the storm is real! And it's happening! And all of a sudden, everything that's taking place begins to register in his mind for the first time. What is happening? The fourth point. The peace of Jesus seems impossible. Jesus had given Peter this moment of peace and this moment of reprieve from the storm. But as he's experiencing it, his mind and his spirit snap back into what is his perceived reality. And he moves away from Jesus calling him to sink back into reality. Now, double unfortunate for him because he doesn't just sink back into reality. He begins to sink into the lake. He begins to fall into the water. He begins to, to actually begin to sink and begin to drown. It's why Paul says about God's peace, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, we, we can hear something like that, and we drift to the idea of hope in that. And it is hopeful. God's peace is bigger and mightier than we could ever understand. That, and it will guard our hearts and minds. That no matter what we face, God's peace is bigger and it's stronger. And no matter what I face, when God has my back, what can stand against me? But there's a warning for us in this as well. Because to walk in it, we're going to have to walk in something we don't understand. And for most people, dare I say all, it's pretty hard. For Peter, in this moment, it was hard. It was hard for him to accept in the middle of the wind and the waves that he was experiencing this moment with Jesus. It didn't make any sense. It was impossible. And even though in the moment it actually was possible, it was happening, it could be true because it was true, in this moment it became too much. And the peace of God which transcends his understanding, he began to not understand it. And so here's the warning for, for you and for I in this. As we experience the peace of God in our life, it's not going to make sense. Maybe to us, certainly for the world around us. I'm sure none of the other disciples were like, well, that makes sense. Of course, he's, he's walking on the, what else did you expect? Turns out it's not a ghost, it's Peter on the water. It's faith. It's trust. It's relying on the miraculous presence of God to bring us miraculous peace in our lifetimes or in our lives how can you have peace at a time like this how can you be okay don't don't you know what's going on 
Don't you see? How can you have peace? You can't possibly tell me you're okay right now. How can you have peace? People cannot walk on water. It's impossible. The peace of God is impossible. It's a miracle. And the last part of this story, and in some ways the most important, verse 31 Peter is beginning to sink into the water. He cries out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. See, it's not that Jesus wasn't in control of the wind and the waves. It wasn't that Jesus couldn't have stopped the storm. He does. He pulls Peter out of the water. They get in the boat. Suddenly, everything is just the way it needs to be. Now, Peter may say to himself, can we do the walking thing again? Because I feel like I could do it now. I feel like everything is just the way it needs to be. You make it hard, I'll do the walking. This will be great. The peace of God in this moment didn't just look like the miraculous calming of the storm. For Peter, for us, it sometimes looks like walking above the storm. But even as Peter began to sink, we see the last point. Jesus was still there. Now, now at this point, as Peter begins to sink, his circumstances had changed. And this time it was his lack of faith and his doubt that got him there. Jesus had given him this moment, but Peter couldn't understand it. But as Peter begins to sink, who reaches out for him? It's not the other disciples. They don't throw him a rope. They don't throw him one of those circle deals with the stripes on it. It's not the other disciples that pull him back onto board. And and Jesus comes over and says, well, this is a good teaching moment. Jesus reaches out again. And he meets Peter again. And he saves him again. See, Jesus continues to bring peace to Peter and to his life. Even when doubt and fear crush him. Jesus' peace is still there. He's still there for Peter. He was still present in Peter's life. And even in the words Jesus spoke, it's, it's easy to read them with an edge. It's easy to read them. You of little faith, why did you doubt, you dummy? But what if it was a little more like a parent trying to teach his child to ride a bike? What if it was more like a parent speaking to his child when they're embarrassed and hurt, when they're weary and weak, and his heart is breaking for Peter, and he's, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You had it. You had it, my son. You had it. And this is what we need to take away from this as we talk about experiencing God's peace. Jesus comes to get us time and again, 
place after place, moment after moment, when we are exhausted, tired, afraid, broken down, and our faith has fallen apart. Jesus reaches down yet again, and he reaches down into our storms to pull us back out. It's the promise that Jesus makes in the very last words of the book of the Gospel of Matthew. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus does not guarantee a change in circumstance. Jesus does not guarantee an end to the storm. Jesus does not guarantee relief from the things that can rob us of the world's peace. Jesus does not give us a guarantee that looks like that. But what Jesus does guarantee is that the lowest moments, the moments of exhaustion, fear, worry, insecurity, weakness, and doubt, he will be there walking on the storm, inviting us to do the same. What Jesus does guarantee is his presence. And in his presence, we'll find peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that walking on the water is probably not what you have for us. That you're not going to call us to, to walk physically, literally, on water in the middle of a storm. But God, for each one of us, here, each one of us watching, each one of us that will hear this, God, you have called each one of us to walk through storms of life. You have called us to walk through the difficult. You have called us to walk through the scary. You have called us to walk through moments of doubt. You have called us to walk through moments of fear. You have called us to walk through circumstances that can lend themselves to all of these negative things. But Jesus, you've called us to walk on water. You've called us to walk above it all. You've called us to discover in the presence of Jesus in our lives, the peace of Jesus, the courageous peace that comes not by our circumstances, but by the presence of peace in our lives. And so God, I pray for each one of us that would be dealing with these difficult, harsh circumstances of life. Jesus, would you bring us peace? Would you bring us peace in the form of your presence? God, we, we, we may have accepted you as our Savior, and we may know we have your presence in our lives, but God, would we discover a new depth of your presence that would bring with it a new understanding of peace? God, would you help us to walk above the wind and the waves as real and as definitive as our circumstances may be? God, would you still help us to be above it because we know in whom we've placed our trust. And you promised you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. So whatever it is that's causing our, our doubt, our fear, our worry, whatever it is that's causing our insecurities, whatever it is that's causing our, us to break down and our, our faith to fall apart, God, would you give us the ability to rise above it, to rise up on wings like eagles, to be able to be above it all so that we can walk 
in your presence. Jesus, we love you, and we're so grateful for your presence in our lives and everything that it does for us as we face a cruel and harsh and difficult world made that way by sin. God, I thank you that we have, have a God who works in us to pull us to walk through this world in a way that brings life and wholeness to us and to the world around us. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I just want to talk for just a brief moment about something that's taken place in, in the news and in our world in the last little bit. And I just want to share a couple of comments about this. Um, to start off... I would want to apologize um, for anything that would appear as like a delay or somehow being purposely silent or wanting to ignore or somehow not acknowledge the horrific news that came out of Kamloops this past week. Um, with the discovery of, of the bodies of 215 indigenous children inside of a mass, mass grave from a residential, residential school, I wanted to try to do my best to ensure that our comments were not merely or simply trite or a hashtag or whatever, that, that, but that we would take the time to adequately speak to our, our hearts on, on this issue. We are heartbroken for the families and communities that are directly and indirectly affected by the discovery that took place in Kamloops. And we know that a tragedy like this grieves God's heart as well. As we know that this runs completely contrary to the love, mercy, justice, and reconciliation that God has called his followers to. And that's part of the pain for us in this as well. As the people who, who gave oversight and leadership and direction to these schools were people who claimed to follow Jesus just the same way that we do. And as part of the church as a whole, we know that, that we're not directly responsible for what, what happened. But we as the church can be a, sim, a symbol, can be symbolic too many of what did take place. And today, I, I want to say that, that we offer our deepest sympathies to those who are part of the indigenous communities, both inside and outside of our Hillside Church family. And as a potential symbol in the indigenous community of the church, who, who was... <laughs> responsible for the things that took place, for the people responsible for so much pain and suffering, for whatever it's worth, whatever we can offer, we are sorry. And we love you. And we're praying that God would really show us a way that we as a church and as a community of people can play a role in the healing and the reconciliation that God has called us to be a part of. I just want to take a moment and pray. Father God, we, we come to you with, with hearts that are heavy, hearts that are mourning, hearts that are so saddened by 
the things that have taken place in your name. God, the things that we have, as humans have done to, to somehow destroy the name of Jesus in the world. That we, as your representatives, have, have acted in so many terrible ways. And God, we are reminded of this again as the church is giving oversight to, to the death of these children. God, we come to you and God, we, we just say, God, we, we need to be salt and light into the world. That's what you've called us to do. And God, for all the times that we've fallen short as individuals, as Hillside Church, as the church, God, when we've fallen short, God, we come and we repent and we say sorry. We repent for the things that we've done that have caused hurt as individuals, that has caused hurt as a church, and have caused hurt as the church. And God, we just, we want to be who you've called us to be. We want to be that city on a hill. We want to be light in the darkness. We, we want to be the salt that flavors the world with the flavor of Jesus. And so God, we, we repent for the things that have been done in your name. God, even if we as individuals didn't do them, God, we as a people did. And God, I want to pray for our, our indigenous community. God, for those inside of our church and for those outside. God, who must be feeling so much pain and tragedy in their lives as, as they've seen these loved ones, this, this part of their community that were treated so unbelievably horribly. God, we pray for healing. We pray for grace. We pray for mercy on their lives. God, we pray that the light of Jesus would manage to shine through the darkness, not the light of the church that did these things, but the light of Jesus Christ would shine through your church to bring hope and healing that only you can offer. God, as our hearts break, as our hearts weep, as we mourn for what's taken place, God, may we be able to take steps forward into a bright future into a future of reconciliation, into a future of the love of Jesus being on display in our city, in our church, in our country. God, that to all people everywhere all the time, God, may the church be the light that it needs to be. God, prevent us from corrupting the message of love and grace that we have in you. Jesus, we love you. And we know the answers to the issues are found in Jesus. We know the answers to the issues are found in you. And so, God, would you show us how to be the answer, how to be the light, how to be the church that we need to be in order to bring reconciliation to these, to these communities that the church has done so much to disenfranchise. Jesus, we know you have a plan, a purpose. We know you have a reason and a direction for us as a people. And God, may we walk in your direction. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The weight of the world is getting heavy and now feels like it's far too much to carry around and each and every
Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. Hillsideairdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family, we go. What if the miracle's a moment away? What if the morning's just about to break? And all the innocence you thought that you lost was there inside of you all along. Come on and keep on hoping when the days get dark. Keep on singing, don't you ever lose heart. Lift your eyes, the one who gave you life will give you strength to Keep on hoping, keep on hoping.